Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Wow. Wow. Good to be back. It feels like I, I was just here last week. Stop clapping. Everybody stop clapping. This is nonsense. Clap for Jesus, not for me. Uh, it feels like just like yesterday I was here and uh, wow. For those of you who don't know me, uh, like Pastor Donald said, my name is Dominic. I, I had the privilege and honor of uh, being here and leading here and praying with many of you and crying together and laughing together. So I just want to say thank you, Pastor Donald, for having me, for the elders, uh, the missions team. Uh, uh, just coming back, I wish I had, like, you know, I asked how long do I have to speak, and, and Donald turned to me and said, as long as you want. I'm like, that's not a good thing to say to me. Uh, <laughs> we'll be here till two in the afternoon. We're going to be here till tonight. No, there's a lot to share about Montreal and about the church there, but for those of you who don't know, uh, one of the things that I had the privilege of doing when I was here at Temple, when I was the pastor here, is to really try to learn about what God was doing here in this church. And he's still doing su such amazing things. And I'm so grateful that this church continues to partner with us as we learn what it means to start a church in Quebec. And if you've never been to Quebec, uh, shame on you. Uh, two, if you're watching online, we're happy that you're watching from wherever you are. And because of technology, you can feel like you can be anywhere and be connected somehow in some way with other people. But this is probably the worst time in the history of like Montreal for somebody from Montreal to be in Ontario, if you watch hockey, by the way, just for the record. Uh, so pray for our hockey team. Uh, and let's not talk about hockey today at all, at all. But, but to be here and to think about Quebec and uh, Pastor Donald mentioned, for me to think that God was maybe calling me back home, birthed this burden in my heart that I did my best to ignore. And many of us know this, how easy it is to have times in our lives where God is saying to us, hey, you know, I'm going to stretch you in a new way in the next season. And so I'm going to invite you to do something you never thought you would do. And what you do, if you're like me, you're like, that's not God. It's someone else. Or I eat pizza. Or it's my wife's problem. Or it's somebody else's problem. And I did that for a long time. And some of you are here this morning and maybe you're doing that. You're just trying to like set aside something that God's saying to you, hey, I'm calling you to start to do this. Maybe it's as simple as forgive someone. It might be as simple as calling someone up and saying, you know what, can I help you with this? Or someone who's searching, who just needs a conversation because they're going, they have doubts or they have questions. Maybe that's what God's gonna stretch you with. And I, I could never have prepared myself that God was gonna stretch me to do something that I never thought I would do, which is start a church. Not only did I not wanna start a church, I didn't even like church planters. Like, I'm like, church planting sounds weird and hard, and I'm like, I have some of my friends who are planting churches, I don't necessarily like them. I'm like, I don't want to be like them, I'm not going to do this, right? You can laugh in church, it's okay. So, so I, I heard God saying this to, to me, and then many of you know, I shared this with Bev, my wife, and we were like, God, how are we going to do this? And you know, years before I came to Temple, it was about like probably a year before I came to Temple, I had the blessing of really sitting down and meeting the person who planted this church. His name was Dr. Hal McBain, and you'll see a picture behind here with me. And I went with a, a video crew and a camera crew, and I went and I sat down with him in, his, in the residence that he was in, and we chatted, and, and I, I showed part of this video to the church. Some of you remember seeing this, but we didn't show the whole video to the church. There were times when I was talking to him, and I said to him, you know, tell me a little bit about why God birthed in you this burden to start Temple Baptist Church. Like, where, why? You know, and he shared with me about what God was 
doing in his heart and he knew there was a lot of people not connecting with church so he's like we got to start a church and I never thought that a few months and years would go by and the things that he said to me in that meeting would be things that God would start to awaken in me to go start a church starting a church is so difficult but starting a church in Quebec it's like suicide it's, the, it's a vortex of like challenges. It's like imagine like driving on a highway and having people on the side just whipping stuff at your car while you're driving. It's like things come at you so fast that no matter how much you're trusting God and you have to trust God, you just can't prepare for all the things that happen. And so tonight I'm gonna share a bit more about the things that we're learning, what God's teaching us, not only teaching me as a, as a leader and as a pastor, but teaching the church for the sake of the church in Canada and in North America. And we have other people who are learning with us because some of the things we are experiencing in Quebec are things that, you know, haven't kind of maybe arrived in Ontario in the same capacity of being in a very secular space that churches are wise to learn and to listen and to prepare differently for some of the challenges we're facing. In Quebec, I have some slides of for the past few years, people have kind of been studying Quebec, like what's happening there? And it's not only of a language issue, but what else is happening spiritually? And you can go to the other slides with some, just some of the, the paper. This is not even a Christian thing. It's just the paper, the newspaper, people who study culture. Like Christianity Today, it's a leading evangelical magazine in the US called Quebec, Canada's Prodigal Province. I mean, these are Americans just paying attention and saying something is happening in Quebec and you know, who's going there? Where are the missionaries? Where are the people learning? Because we learn about missions about something far away, right? Oh, we've got to get on a plane, maybe go to Africa. This is an article that came out a few years ago and says old churches seeking uh, new vocations. More than 340 churches were abandoned, converted, and they're closed. Uh, they're, they're just giving them away, some churches. A friend of mine who's part of the 180, and I'll explain the name of the 180 tonight, but a friend of mine who's part of our church worked in a gym, like a fitness gym, that was an old church. I went to see him one day and I waited in the kind of the foyer of this gym and I sat in a pew while I waited and I thought like, is anyone's heart burdened for this? Does anyone even care that this is happening? You go to the next slide and then you'll see this last one that's, uh, you can again, you can read on the paper, I think it's up there, next slide, it's, there you go. What's happening in Montreal's church is Quebec finding new ways to preserve its heritage in a secular age. A church closes every week, Quebec. You, we can't plant churches fast enough to even just stay at par with having churches. And then we need to think differently about what's going on there. And many of you know that that burden kind of just started with me and other people who did that. But it didn't just start with me. It also happened in your hearts. Because the elders at the time and leaders and many of you felt like we need to be part of this. Like we might not be able to go because we can't speak French or we don't know enough about the culture. And some of you maybe visit Quebec and that's beautiful, just come. Quebec, people like your money there, it works, right? But, but you're like, how, how, how can we be part of the solution? How can we be part of serving there? So I'm so grateful that many of you are feeling that burden. And as I'm learning to church plant and as I'm learning to be a leader in this very different way, one of the things that's happened, and I didn't anticipate this, but God is teaching me this, one of the things that's happened to me is I've, I've started to read scripture in a new way. I've started to appreciate when God was starting churches in the New Testament, when churches were starting, just the first churches, and I started seeing those churches in a new way because I'm feeling the feeling of starting a church. So I read the scriptures and I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking about new churches and this morning for the, the little time we have together, I wanna just introduce you again to one of those first churches in the Bible. One of those first churches in the Bible that's a fascinating church, we actually have a whole letter in the New Testament of that church, is the church in Philippi. And we have the book of Philippians which is a lens into that first church. 
And we read our Bible, and we take it for granted. We'd be like, oh, this church has always been there. No, but somebody planted that church. They planted it because they gave, and they sacrificed, and they prayed, and they developed leaders, and they, they were learning. Somebody planted that church in the Bible. And you know what we often do? We just like somebody prayed, and magically God dropped the church out of the sky. That's what we think happens. Many people who attend church, even like temple, they think, oh, that church has always been there. I mean, this church was here even before the Walmart was here. And it was, by the way. It was. So you could just forget the work and the sacrifice that it takes to get, kind of start with this nucleus of people. And I often tell people that we left the church of, you know, that we love with the staff, 800 people for eight people in our house. There is no school that prepares you for that. Nothing. There's days and weeks and times where Bev and I are together and we love the people in our church. We love what God's doing. But there's days where you're like, what have we done? Like, Really? Whose idea was this? And Bev's like, yours. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but we're like, uh, this, is, this is hard. Like, this is going to be scary. But the church in Philippi that we had the letter of Philippians from, we're given a glimpse into that church from a book called the Book of Acts. And in the Book of Acts, there's this leader, early church leader, his name is Luke, and he gives us a snapshot of how God is positioning people and lives and changing things to help a new church start. Okay, that's what we have in the scriptures. And in the book of Acts, we're introduced to one of the first people, like the, one of the first leaders of this new church that will become the church in Philippi. And this is what we're told. That Paul, who boarded a boat at Troas, from there we reached Philippi, which is the place he's going, and we stayed there several days. And one of them, one of the people, one of the people who was there, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. This is a kind of a backdrop to the church in Philippi. We're told about the first people that Paul meets in Philippi, I mean, he gets on a boat, he goes to Troas, like anybody today who gets on a boat gets on a boat to go on a cruise, right? Like get on a boat, that sounds so nice. It's a disaster, it's not nice at all. Like he's on a boat, he doesn't know if he's gonna die, he's like hoping somebody helps him. He's like, ah, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't really know anybody in Philippi, I hope this works. And, and just the feeling of when the gospel takes root somewhere, somebody has to be open to be disrupted. Everybody just hopes God's kingdom moves forward, but nobody wants their lives to be disrupted. We're like, we're just going to pray here. Can we send the money? Can we just hope it just gets fixed? Like, we believe that. And then we read the scriptures, and we see how people's lives are being disrupted for the gospel to move forward. And Paul's in this boat. And for those of you who maybe need a reference point, I have a map from uh, where we are now to where Montreal is. There it is. Okay? Google Maps, just to show you. So the disruption from Sarnia to Montreal is about like an eight-hour drive disruption, right? With our kids in the car, it feels like a 17-hour drive, okay? And we want to throw them out of the car while we drive. <laughs> Those of you don't know, I have three boys, disaster. Okay. So, no, we love my boys. Besides, we love them. And some of them love this church, right? So you are here, right? And, and, and the trek to Montreal, it, just to give you a, the map, is not a far trek. It's, I mean, it's not far at all. But the changes that happen along the way spiritually, uh, ethnically, economically, as, as we just drive, are hard to kind of even explain. But there's a disruption part that comes with it. We're willing to be disrupted. We're willing to kind of give up this and give up that to listen in a new way. Well, Paul is doing that with the early leaders in the church. He's on a boat. He's going to Troas. And when he gets to Troas, he meets Lydia. Lydia is called, you can go back to the, to the verse behind. I just want to highlight, just go back a second. Lydia is called a person who worshiped God, okay? And in the Bible, there's a term for this in the New Testament, which are called people who are God-fearers. God-fearer is a person who's trying to connect with God, but doesn't really understand who Jesus is yet, okay? 
And it's a very common term that's used in the Bible. When Paul shows up in a place, he's looking for people who are God-fearers. They're not always sure. And they're actually very, very nervous about the gods. That's why we have passages actually in the book of Acts when Paul shows up somewhere and it says, this is the altar to the unknown God. Because people are afraid even to give God a name because they might make him upset or the gods might punish you for not saying the right things. So imagine how freeing and how powerful it's going to be when Paul says, hey, what if God told us his name? What if we know how to call on this God? What if we don't have to be afraid of God anymore? What if something has happened that set us free where we can trust God in a way we never thought we could before? Paul's about to do this. And Lydia, in this moment, Paul's trying to find where people are meeting. We're told that Lydia and some other people in Philippi, which they don't know Paul from Adam, right? They're just in this kind of spiritual prayer thing. You know, I kind of call it like first century spirituality. In Quebec, what you have is you have a fabric of culture. Maybe some of you know this. You know someone like this. That's just about being spiritual. How many of you know somebody who's just into spiritual things? Spirituality, they'll kind of watch a bit of this and mix a bit of that and read a bit of this and they put it in a pot and they mix it up and they drink it and I love this, bit of everything. Like they're, they're searching for something but they're not sure like Jesus maybe is one of the many ways to God. Like that's what they'll say. It's very common. I mean, maybe you don't feel that all the time here, but in Quebec, and when you talk with people, and if you meet people who are not part of church, and they're like, church is weird. Like, they're telling you what to believe and what to do, and laws and rules. I'm like, I'm just into spirituality. I'm like, wow, that sounds nice. And in Quebec, it's a very common thing that you'll hear. And Lydia is one of those people in the Bible. That's what she's into. She's like a spiritual person. And we're told that she's very, very wealthy. It's very rare in the Bible to be introduced to a woman. She sells this cloth, this purple cloth that we know in the Bible is used for people who make special clothing. And purple clothing, purple cloth is usually made for people who are really, really wealthy. They wore it as a sign of prestige, of power. So Lydia spends her days serving rich people. She knows how to wheel and deal. I mean, there's a show on TV that's House Hunters. Any of you ever watch these house hunting shows? And there's one of these shows that people just buy houses from other rich people. It's like mega houses. And you're like, who lives like this? Like, I'm going on a ship. I'm on a boat. I'm with a millionaire. Lydia's one of those people. She knows how to wheel and deal with rich people. She has to. She's a really good businesswoman. She knows how to make money. And every so often, she goes into this spiritual conversation and prayers and whatever. She's into these things. And one day, we're told this powerful thing happens. Paul shows up in Philippi. And this is what we're told. Paul talks to her, and it says, Paul, uh, as, as she listened to, the, to us, the Lord opened her heart. Let's just pause. The Lord opened her heart. You know, Jesus is still opening people's hearts. Like this. Yeah, it's Theo right there. Amen, all right. Love you, bud. And she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests if you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord she said come and stay at my home and she urged us until we agreed how beautiful is this church plant it's about to happen now a first person who's heard Jesus say to her I love you and all these things you're searching for the spirituality might be great you're searching but it's me that you're searching for It's an encounter with me. I'm the only one who can heal this. And imagine that Lydia spends her whole life meeting people who are trying to find their identity in money and power and and she's like, I've seen this my whole life and I know how empty it can be. And she's like, I don't want to be that kind of person. I have everything. I'm so well off. And the first thing that she does, which is a really important indicator for us, the first sign that someone's had an encounter with Jesus is they become generous. 
Like, we don't look for that, right? We like, did you stop smoking? Are you watching less bad shows on TV? All the stuff, you know, we, we were told, whatever. Lydia, the first thing she said, she's like, I'm really well off. You guys have to stay with me at my house. You need to come and stay at my house. And if it's true that Jesus has changed me, come to my house and talk to me. Spend some time with me. She automatically is thinking, how do I use what I have now for the sake of this greater thing that you've told me about? Where is Jesus on the move? How do I give to him? How do I serve? Well, let's begin with this. You guys come and eat at my house. How's that? Let's start there. And we're told that this happens. This one point in the story, her heart is opened to being generous because she realizes that if Jesus is the truth, all of her stuff is worth nothing. Right? Here's a great test for you. How are you doing on the generosity factor? How are you doing as it relates to just giving away and being generous what you have, realizing that it means nothing in comparison to the greatness of Jesus? How are you doing? Because if you're not doing well with that, there's a, there's a sign that God has to kind of maybe set you free from something. And new churches cannot start. New things cannot start if more Lydia's are not raised up. More people that God's blessed who are like, I'm releasing this. Are you kidding me? Who cares about this stuff? The Lord has opened my heart to understand that he's the only way, that he's the only one who can transform a world. Money won't do it. Power won't do it. Nothing will do it. Lydia's like, how do I get on board? What do I do now? Where do I go? And Paul's like, this is amazing. This is great. So I wanted to give you this snapshot of how God awakens in people moments of generosity to say, you know what, we can help. Maybe we can serve and we don't have a lot, but maybe we can do this. And I want to show you a, a picture of the place where we meet. You can go to the slide, the next slide. It's just the next one. I'll talk about that tonight. You can go to the next one. This is a place of the warehouse where we gather at the 180. Okay, this picture it was taken maybe the first month when we kind of started kind of meeting together. And our first gathering here was about 17 people showed up. And I was so sad. I'm like, 17 people. I'm like, I'm like, how is this going to work? You know, and the next week you meet, like we didn't meet every week. We gathered every second weekend. And then there was like 13 people. You know, and that's like counting my boys twice. Because I'm like, I think, I think I got more kids. Like just keep counting them, right? You're just trying to find some sense that God is with you in those moments. Well, the, the surprise thing I want to tell you is that God was doing something in me that I couldn't have prepared for. God was starting to teach me what it means to trust him in a new way. And so one of those early people who were part of that, that first gathering, he was the person, he and his wife were the people who owned this building. This building is a warehouse building, a printing company that was for sale. And we started gathering in it, and, and Bev and I, I mean, I can tell you the longer story, but when I first walked into the space, Bev was with me, it was just us two, and he said, I have this building, I don't know what it's good for, we're going to sell it, I'm not sure if you could use it. And he showed us kind of an office room and another office room. And I'm thinking, oh, we could put 10 chairs in here or 15 chairs in here. And then I'm thinking, we don't even own chairs. So I'm like, we have to buy chairs. So you're trying to figure this out. And the first thing is we bought, I think, like 25 chairs was our first Costco purchase. So you're, you're kind of, I'm like, why am I thinking about buying chairs? I, this is brutal. So we're going through all of this and this come together. And this gentleman and his wife say to us, we've been sensing that God's blessed us in our business and we're doing well. And so we'd like to give a portion of this warehouse space from September to December for this church, whatever, we weren't a church yet, we were just gathering for free, just of use for you guys to start to use it. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, how about you just do that? Just start meeting and see what God does and just start trusting God and we're, you know, we're just, we feel like we want to do that. So I'm like, okay. God's like, hey, you're going to trust me? There's a first step. There's a Lydia moment. Like this person could do that. And so we got closer to December and I remember we, we thought we'd do like a little Christmas celebration thingy. And in Quebec, one of the things you learn right away that Christmas, attendance goes down in church, not up. 
Okay, most people, if they don't go to a midnight mass gathering where they feel like they're part of the heritage of their faith in the Catholic church, they're kind of shopping her with family. And so you're like, okay, I don't know what to do with that because I'm used to like, let's get people here, invite somebody for Christmas. It's a ramp up season. I'm like, it doesn't really exist here. Uh, we're dead. No, I didn't say that, but I, I felt it in my heart. Okay, so, uh, so there's this moment and, and it's about December and we're meeting and now there's about like 50 people I think had shown up. And I'm like, okay, we got to get more chairs. Maybe we need to rent chairs. Because I don't know if they're going to come back next week. We're going to buy chairs and we don't need them. All the stuff you never think about and you're just trying to trust Jesus along the way. And you guys were part of it because you, you partnered with us and helped us. And financially, those of you who are giving are part of us trying to do this. And time would go on and this gentleman sits with me and I said, you know what, our time is up. It's December. You know, those three months of like free rent. What are we going to do? And he's like, you know what, I really... I really got to sell this building. The building costs $2 million. I'm like, did you say $2 million? And he's like, you know what, but if the church can sign a lease for part of the space, maybe I, I don't have to sell it right away. So I'm thinking, okay, like what is that going to mean? Like we have about 50 people. Can we do this? I'm like, Jesus, I need another moment. Where are you going to like help me know what to do? I mean, you're looking in the back of your Bible, right? For leasing, church planting. Okay, there's not, nothing in there. I didn't find it. You get the book of Revelation, there's nothing after that. I, I, you got nothing. So you're praying for like wisdom and you're talking and Bev and I are talking and talking with the people and he says, you know what, if the church can help, you know, if your lease is $5,000 a month, which to a church planter is like insane. It's not in your budget, $5,000 a month. We're gonna, I'm gonna take this building off the market and the church can have a lease on it. And so this begins to happen and the process goes on and we feel like that we can really do this. Maybe we can do this. And so he takes the building off the market. He decides he's not gonna sell it if we sign this little lease and then we have another problem. That it's against the law for a church to meet in this building. In Quebec. You're like, I love this stuff. Thank you, Jesus. This is gonna be great. Like, nobody says that. Nobody prays that prayer. You're just like, what is happening? We just get through one moment and you're like, now this. And you have this moment where, where we have to learn to hear God speaking in a new way and and to help you understand the next part of the story, I want to read to you the beginning of the book of Philippi, that now is a book to a church that started and is doing its thing, that Lydia and Paul and those early leaders in the book of Acts kind of started to give to. And Paul in the book of Acts will go to jail for a little while because of this. And you're like, okay, Jesus, how, what are we going to do? So the beginning of, Philippi, of Philippians chapter 1, this is what we're told. It's a beautiful moment. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in, in Christ Jesus at Philippi. How beautiful is a church. It's kind of birthed there now. Together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I read this passage and I can't help but thinking of you. From the first day, before anyone knew we were leaving, many of you were like, God, God's gonna maybe use us to help this somehow. We don't even like Quebec, but we're gonna help them. No, I'm kidding. Some other. <laughs> we don't even know what's going on, but, but maybe we're, we're part of this. Paul is trying to remind them, hey, church in Philippi now, I don't know if you remember Lydia. Some of you might not even know who Lydia is, but she started that church, and I was on a boat from Troas who went, and I went to jail, but now I'm writing to you, and, and, and I, I remember the partnership that we developed and the friendship. And one of the things that I remember reading this passage before, years ago, pastored, preached from this, maybe I even preached from Philippians when I was here. 
And you think about the kind of partnerships that God develops between Christians and other Christians, between churches and other churches. But I never anticipated that God was gonna teach me that he's also weaving special partnerships between us and people who don't believe. He's also weaving special partnerships that have to take place for him to do a work with others who are not even yet sure if they believe what we do. And when, we're enter, when we enter moments where we're not sure how we're gonna trust God, God says to us, are you willing for me to open up new partnerships with people who don't even believe what you believe yet? You know, God has placed each one of us, each one of you, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from online, he's placed you in a place where he can develop unique partnerships with a coworker, with your boss, with a friend, with a family member that I will never be able to develop. They won't know me. They're like, who is this weird guy with that weird accent? But you're there. And that partnership is a unique, a unique way that God's Spirit's gonna work there and make you aware of the need that maybe is there of a person who maybe doesn't understand Jesus yet. They're not ready to come to temple. They're not even ready to watch us a video on the website. But something is stirring in them. And God's placing you there to develop this partnership. Well, I'll never forget the day that God started to do that with me because when I got the word and I started to understand that in the space that we were in, we could not meet as a church. The reason we could not meet is because the zoning for the building is zoned industrial. And you need a special zoning permission to meet in a building. That's a religious building, the same like you do here, right? But we just don't think about it. You know why? Because we're not Lydia. We're not the first people who are like, how do we even start this thing? Like, what do, do we have to buy a printer? Like, do we have Wi-Fi here? Like, all the questions that you just assume somebody else did, you don't realize somebody else sacrificed to do. And so we're in this moment, and I go to City Hall. I'll never forget the day I go to City Hall, in the area where we're in. We're just a little bit north of Montreal. It's the fastest-growing area of Quebec, and I'll share more about that tonight. But I go to the City Hall, and I tell this, the deputy mayor of the city, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a leader. I'm from Quebec. I grew up here. Uh, try not to say too much that I'm a pastor, because you never know how that's going to land. And, you know, and, and nowadays, we don't say we're evangelical, because that, that's connected to something going on in the U.S., which is complicated, but it's a whole other thing. Okay? So, so in Quebec, it's weird. You're not even sure what word to use when you're describing who you are. You're like, I'm a leader, spiritual leader that wants to help in this community. And I said, we're in this building and I need to know what are the best steps to honor the laws of this province to be able to meet here. And this the leader's like, well, what's, well, where are you? What's going on? We're talking. I'm like, okay. I'm just praying. I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to need to know how to, I don't know how to navigate city hall and leaders and officials. And, and there's this moment where, you know, he says, well, leave it with us. And, you know, you can make a request and some of these things. And then it hits me. We're getting close to, I don't know, it was a gathering we're having. And I send a note to this person. and I invite him to church. I said, listen, you've been so helpful. You've been really gracious. You've really answered all of our questions. I'm not sure what the next steps are. But I want to let you know, maybe it would help you to see what we're doing as you reflect on this permit or this request. And he says to me, you know what? He writes back. He goes, my wife and I are coming on Sunday. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're going to come and see what's going on. And so I make, a, 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 make it a point that the day right after he visits, I'm going to go visit him just so I can kind of clean up anything or answer questions or help with that. And so he comes with his wife that day and I go back to his office and I said, what did you think? He says, oh, it's really amazing what you guys are doing. Like, is that a church? Like in a warehouse, can you do that? I'm like, yeah, it is. And it's very foreign to people when you tell them you're starting a church, right? They're like, can anybody just start a church? Like one person said to me, do you have to call the Pope to start a church? <laughs> I said, you know, no, but I should maybe, I don't know. <laughs> like think about how words that we use that are our most evangelistic words mean nothing to people who don't believe. 
Like, this is the best language we have. And people are like, really? Or like alpha. It's the most evangelistic tool. It's a Greek word that nobody uses. They're like, what is that? We forget until you're with people and they're like, you could just do that? Start a church. I'm like, yeah, we're, we are a church. It's a bit different in a warehouse, kind of edgy. And he says to me, you know, I kind of like the warehouse for a church. And I said, why? This gentleman at the city. I said, why? He said, you know, because you could see everything. You could see the wires, you could see the pipes, you could see everything, like, kind of like a Starbucks, you could see everything inside. He goes, you know what, it makes me feel you guys are transparent. And I don't believe religious people because they're not transparent. I was like, oh, that's going to leave a mark. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, transparent is good. I said, that's what we're about. I said, that's why I'm here. I said, because we want to be transparent. We don't want to do something that we're not allowed to do and we can't meet in this building if we know we're not allowed to meet in it. So he says, you know what, I, I, think, I think we can help you guys. You guys should kind of sign a lease for this building and we're going to help you and we're going to begin the steps. And I'm thinking, we needed a unique partnership with city leaders who are doing their best in their job, who are trying to make sense of how to work around every kind of religion in Quebec because it's very common and I've said this before and churches need to hear this, that if we want religious freedom for us, we have to want it for everybody. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, I'm not sure. I want, every, I want the Christian religious freedom to be the most important. We don't get that option anymore. We have to want religious freedom for everyone. That's so edgy that if there's a mosque that needs to be built in Quebec, and the city does not give them zoning permission, we Christians need to go defend their permission to have a mosque. Do you understand how important that is? For religious freedom to be allowed to happen? We're going to have to change how we think about everything. And if you want more of that, come tonight. If you're afraid, stay home. Okay? <laughs> But we, we are going to have to think in new ways of how to do this. But this is not new for Christians. This is not new for Paul who's in jail. This is not new for Lydia who's like, I'm, I'm going to help it happen. This is not new, but it can feel new for us when we forget the burden and the weight that people carried in the first churches in the New Testament. I'm just going to read one last section that Paul, Paul leaves with, with the Christians there in Philippi. He says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. He's writing to this church and he's like, listen, it's gonna be overwhelming. Whatever you're going through in Philippi is very complicated and I want your hearts to stay focused on the right things. Because we all know in our, the, the world that we live in, the burdens are there. There's all kinds of challenges that are going on and then he gives us this little, little secret here in this passage. One of the most profound and simple ways for us to keep our hearts on the right things is to keep our mind on the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. Christ's return orients our thinking to the right things. And, and I learned this, this lesson you know, years ago in a very strange way. When I was in Sarnia, I, I got a motorcycle. And I had a motorcycle and I had to sell that to move and we, all this stuff. And I remember one day when I was, I was learning how to ride my motorcycle, it was motorcycle school. And, and we were learning to go down this like curve thing and and as we were riding, it was easy to feel that the bike was always tipping over. And I was like, what's going on? Like, this is not that hard. Like, what's going on? And the instructor said something to me that changed our thinking. He says, when you're riding a motorcycle, like when you're riding a bike, never look at where you're going. Just look at where you want to be. And if you keep your eyes where you want to be, your, your body will follow your eyes. I'm like, that's not going to work. It sounds too simple. And then I did it. And guess what? It worked. <sighs> Instructors, they know all fresh. Anyway. She just do it, and I'm like, it does. It's almost like a reminder of Christ's return orients us to the only things that are going to matter. Like, all the money you have is not going to matter. Lydia got that, so give it away. All the things you're worried about are not going to matter. 
The things that are going to matter is how your life was rooted in a place for the things that burdened God's heart. That's going to matter. And one of the things that I'm so proud of is to come back and to see Pastor Donald and the leaders of many of you serving and involved and still kind of working out what it means to continue to, to pray and to use your gifts and to use your resources to help see God's work advance in the world. And as you do that, you're helping a small church in Quebec that now is about 150 people in a warehouse learning to love Jesus and it's regular times where I'm praying and I'm like, Jesus, I have no idea what we're gonna do next. No idea. And the building situation has gotten a lot more complicated for us in an exciting way and in a messy way and I'll share more about that tonight. But in the next few minutes, Pastor Glenn's gonna come up here and he's gonna lead you in communion. And one of the most profound things that happens every time you take communion in church and I've said this when I was here, so I'll say it again, is we take communion until the day the Lord returns. Why? Because it's one of those things that orients our hearts and our values and what we do to the right things. And when our eyes are set on that, when our hearts are set on the fact that one day we're gonna give an account to Jesus for what we did with our time and what we did with our money and how we spent our lives, and that's what's gonna matter most. And the Bible's filled with people like Lydia who had everything in the world, all the money, the influence, the, all the stuff, and, and then the Lord opened her heart to realize that that stuff really means nothing in comparison to trusting everything that we are in the hands of Jesus who will come back one day. And he'll be looking for his churches, his disciples, the people that love them. So I wanna pray for us now. I wanna pray that God continues to use us to be those people that are ready to say where you're at work, Jesus, we're ready to give, we're ready to go, we're ready to do this. We don't wanna make any mistakes. We understand that you've been doing this from the beginning and you're still doing it today. Let me just pray for us as I close. Father, thank you for your church here in Sarnia. We thank you that your word is clear that there's only one church. And Jesus, you are the head of it. And we today celebrate with all the Christians in the world some of them who are worshiping in fear and hiding, some of them who are wondering whether you're gonna provide a place where they need to meet. Christians all over the world today are meeting because of you, Jesus, because you are alive and well, and your church is moving forward in this world. And I thank you for the opportunity to be in a place like Quebec, one of the places that needs a new glimpse of what it means to be the church. And I pray for temple, Pray for their hearts to be soft and open, to be giving and generous, and to continue to be attentive to ways that you're gonna call them to see new churches, not only here in Ontario, here in Sarnia, new things, new works, new creative plans that you have in store, that they would step into those opportunities with faith and trust like those early followers did in your word. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.